Ben Blunt, advertising uh, professional in Chicago. Uh, his show's still up, up for another week or two here in uh, Galvin Fine Arts Communication Center at St. Ambrose University. He came a couple weeks back and talked about his show. It's called Typecast. It's a collection of letterpress printed and screen printed uh, images. It explores uh, the use of language and, and how it relates to race. Some tough stuff in there. And uh, the conversation was really interesting. Uh, have him come in and um, present work that's difficult or challenging on occasion and um, just have an honest conversation about it. So uh, we were really lucky to have it. And uh, let's see, let's just read a little bit from his statement. Uh, At times both playful and challenging, Blunt's work is an attempt to recontextualize the implicit and explicit notions of race and identity in America. It does that indeed. Let's hear from Ben. Ben Blunt, welcome to St. Ambrose. This is uh, the Morsi Gallery, and uh, we'd like to welcome you here to celebrate your show, Typecast. Thank you. Yeah, it's good to be here. Um, I just thought, for the purposes of the podcast, I'd read a, read your quick bio. Uh, ben Blunt was born and raised in Detroit. He's a designer and letterpress printer that loves type teaching and putting ink on paper. Sometimes he turns his, what he prints into books. His work explores questions of race and identity and the stories we tell ourselves about living in America. Truth-tellers and rabble-rousers in all areas of popular culture inspire his work, from Dave Chappelle and Kara Walker to Mos Def and Amos Kennedy. He learned a lot about design at Washington University in St. Louis, a lot about printing at Columbia College in Chicago, and filled in the gaps with great mentors and increasingly consistent practice. Thanks again. Let's give him a round of applause. Thanks for making the trip in terrible weather. Uh, okay, so, you know, uh, nothing really too prepared today except um, maybe you could tell us a little bit about this body of work to start. Sure. Uh, the impetus was a residency I did at the Hamilton Wood Type Museum in Two, two Rivers, Wisconsin. I was there for two weeks, uh, not this summer, but last summer. Uh, so my proposal was to do a body of work about race and language. And I thought a wood type museum would be a great place to do that. So I just went, I didn't have any real specific things. I, most of my work is about identity and race and culture and just wanted to use the resources from the museum to do that. Um, I ended up doing a lot of letting what was at the museum kind of lead me like the specific type that they had to kind of interconnect with the ideas that I had coming in. And um, I did five or six prints or series of prints. Um, I can talk about them roughly just to kind of give you a description. Like on the far end, there's a series with big numbers. And they have these beautiful, these are all, this is all wood types. These are giant numbers of wood type. And I just wanted to print with them. So the first series is um, talking about how we identify or make sure that we classify people like in a real strict mathematic way. And so one of them says one drop, which refers to the idea that one drop of black blood makes you black. It was very important to keep the races separate and know who was white and who was black. Um, The three-fourths rule um, 
uh, is about the three-fifths, uh, three sorry, the three-fifths compromise in the Constitution that um, black people were counted as three-fifths a person for tax purposes and representation. And the other is one-eighth black, which is the same thing that one, if one-eighth of your blood is black, then you're black. Again, making sure that we keep the white race white, black people are black. Just It's just really interesting the length that we've gone in history to keep, you know, keep count and make sure we know who's who. And so uh, I think that's just an interesting notion that isn't, um, I think it still resonates today. It's not so strict today, but that, that idea that there are separate races, that this idea of race, which is uh, uh, a concept um, of pe uh, that we've created for, for power is uh, pervasive and it kind of rules you know, our, our life. Um, this other piece, um, it says, black don't crack, Asian don't raisin, brown don't frown. Has anyone heard any of those phrases before? Black don't crack, does that sound familiar to anybody? No? Well, I, uh, I, think, I think that's interesting too. Um, so I grew up that, the phrase black don't crack refers to the melanin in black people's skin and that because we're uh, dark skin, like, like older black women age well. So they, they're 60 years old, but they look like they're 45 because the melanin in the skin protects them from wrinkles. And so we say, oh, black don't crack. It's like a positive thing, like my skin doesn't crack. Uh, I was talking to a friend about this, and he told me that his friend who was Japanese told him that uh, Asian don't raisin is a phrase, which I thought was hilarious. Like, I never heard that before. I, think it's, I thought it was pretty funny. That did some research and found about brown don't frown, which I think refers to Latino people. So the idea that there's uh, these similar phrases in three different cultures that takes uh, a darker skin tone, which is seen as a negative thing, and flips it to a positive, and that each of these cultures had this same kind of rhyming catchphrase. So I put all those phrases together uh, onto a print and printed it in this rainbow color to kind of reminds me of summertime. And another interesting thing, I think, is that, so if you look at that poster and you don't know what black don't crack is, or you don't know what those things are, what, what do you think it is? What do you take from it? Like, most black people I know would know that, and they look at that, and they kind of laugh and giggle and think it's clever. But if you don't know what that means, do you think it's positive? Do you think it's negative? Do you get it? Do you still like it? I find this kind of, we all, all of our cultures have these different, uh, uh, ways of talking and kind of inside jokes and like how do all those things mm -hmm. come together uh, and it's stuff that we don't talk about kind of in a mixed group a lot and so I want to kind of bring some of those things to the forefront to see if uh, I don't know what kind of things they spark. I, I was at a show once where this poster was up and had the same conversation and uh, someone who had never heard of this phrase thought it was saying uh, black, don't crack, like stay strong, um, don't give up, Asian, don't raisin, don't like shrink. And so, I don't know, I was like, that's cool, that's an interesting reading. And uh, I just think that's an interesting thing, like yeah. what people, different people get from these, these different things. So um, that kind of wordplay and the inside joke and the, and the, the language that is uh, community-based right. or um, uh, truisms or aphorisms that are community-based 
that's a that's a big part of a lot of language-based art, a lot of visual art that uses text. I'm, I'm curious if there are, if through letterpress you, f you fell into text or if you were drawn to text-based art before the letterpress, or how did, how did you get to the place where you were using text as a visual art? Yeah, I think it's, uh, so I've been a designer longer than I've been a printer, and so always been attracted to typography and type letter forms. Uh, so getting into letterpress, naturally, you're working with type a lot. And I think part of it is I'm not a great drawer <laughs> and image maker necessarily. Like, I, I could do it, it just takes me longer mm -hmm. than it might someone else, so that's not my first inclination. Yeah. And so... I just kind of leaned in on what I really like and what I'm into. And so like working with type and using more kind of graphic, simplistic things for image making versus very illustrative or figurative things mm -hmm. for me. And so I'm just kind of like doubling down on kind of what I like. And, and well, where did that leap happen from the graphic design to the, what we call it the fine art? I, I don't really make the distinction. We don't teach it really, but there right. is this thing where you're working maybe professionally as a graphic designer, arranging things right. for a job, and then taking that poetic leap and saying, I'm going to arrange these things to, to create meaning. Yeah, I think probably in grad school, I got my MFA in uh, book and paper arts at Columbia College in Chicago, and so, so we're using type and making things, and you know, when you're doing critiques, they're talking about your intent, like what did you plan to do? And so my work started to get a little more message-based. But going further than that, I think a lot of it is uh, music. I'm a big hip-hop fan and kind of, I'm in my mid-40s, so I grew up kind of in the golden age of, of hip-hop. So I grew up listening to Public Enemy and KRS-One and where uh, this language, this poetry was very direct. They're definitely, it's definitely message-based. They're very saying, they're saying something. Uh, it's very up up in the front mm -hmm. and so just taking that in in my formative years mm -hmm. and like I love the wordplay and the way they use language mm -hmm. and uh, I still kind of have that kind of running in the back of my head and so right. the idea of like using language as a way to really really make a statement mm -hmm. comes from that too I think. Tell, tell us a little bit about the graphic design career. That was before grad school? Yeah. Um, I went to school at WashU in St. Louis, um, majored in graphic design. Uh, left school and started doing textbook design, mm -hmm. which was not necessarily my goal, but I think it was really good to have that as be a first job just due to the amount of text mm -hmm. you had to deal with. So you're dealing with paragraphs and paragraphs of text. And in a textbook, there's like a splash page and a header and a subhead, and a sub-subhead, and a sub-sub, <laughs> so like five levels of headers. There's those kind of uh, parts that are called call-outs, and like just how to treat all this different type of type, and yeah. footnotes, and figureheads, <laughs> and like just learning to design all those yeah. elements early on was probably helpful. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and playing with lots of different type and sizes, and how to make those difference without it uh, being complicated. Yeah. Um, did that for a while. then got into advertising, so I'm an art director mm -hmm. currently. I work for an agency that uh, is healthcare, so all of our clients are pharmaceutical companies. So, uh, and we're um, advertising to the doctors, so it's the stuff that drug reps take around to sell and that at, you see at medical conventions. Um, but we do, it's fun because we do a lot of print still, they still mm -hmm. do a lot of print and pharma, but also 
websites and mm. iPad apps and games and different things. So mm-hmm. it's a variety of things. So I've been working with type and some form or another, you know, ever since mm. college. That's maybe that relates to Renee's question. I'll pull Renee's question in. Oh, cool. Off the off the Twitter feeds, we got a question. <laughs> um, so Renee asks. Um, question about your background in printmaking letterpress and how you correlate any of that background slash experience to your career in interaction design. Hmm. She has an interaction design class right now. So I guess what's called user experience and interaction with the website or game or app or whatever. How how do you think those things are, now that you're evolving into that world, how do you think they come together? I'm definitely thinking about the end user, you know, as a art director or designer, you know, I'm making something for a specific, actually, business objective. You want people to respond to the work and it catch their eye. You want them to actually do something. And we even have metrics on whether they did that or not. And so, uh, so I'm not, so even when I'm making stuff for me, I definitely think about the audience and how I try to anticipate how they'll take it, especially stuff that might be more shocking or controversial or something. So I, I, I think how might, depending on what it is, like how might a black audience take this? How, about, how might someone who might not necessarily be receptive or uh, same political beliefs I have, how might they deal with it? And a lot of the times I want people to interact with the work and uh, have it change them or have it spark a conversation. So I don't want to necessarily do anything that's very off-putting. Mm-hmm. I, I purposely try not to I don't say I'm walking a fine line, but I don't want to necessarily shock people and make people get angry and, and run away or want to rip up my poster. Mm-hmm. I want to draw people in so I can kind of engage them or I take something they've seen before and put it in a different context so it kind of surprises them and uh, maybe uh, shocks them a little, a little bit later. Mm-hmm. So I'm definitely thinking about how it will be taken in. And the more I show things, I... Th- I'm finding that the experience of uh, people interacting the wor- with the work is really important to me. So just putting up on a wall and having it sit there is great. But I, I love talking about work, talking to people about it, not just my work, but uh, the ideas that my work might bring up and having the conversations are really interesting to me. Uh, being around while people see the work and hearing like the conversations that they have when I'm not there mm-hmm. um, and thinking about other ways to engage people and books do that in a in a way that prints don't too so a book that you could page through and kind of follow a narrative yeah i want to pass these around you folks please pass these around interact with his books so you get a sense of what he's talking about there yeah so i I definitely am thinking that way they're not interactive in the way that a digital thing is but i'm definitely thinking about how the audience might see it and and what they might do with the the information how how um in the medical industry how subtle can you get in terms of that slow burn? Like, can you can you design a thing that has a slow burn and that really grabs them, or do you have to be a little more upfront? In terms a little of advertising? more upfront. The slow burn might come uh, with a campaign, so you hit them with something really quick. But if you have the same campaign for a year, you know, six months later, the piece that they see, they already know your general idea, and then you can give them some more information. And mm-hmm. That can come uh, through repetition. You gotta hook them and then yeah, keep feeding them. Yep. So in terms of this position that you have now and for our students moving forward in mm-hmm. life, describe 
the day to day? Are you do you need to be um, expert in multiple media? Do you need to be more of an overseer manager? What, what's your what's your position in it right now? So now I'm a as a director. Yeah, right? I'm a group art supervisor. So I have some art directors who work under me. So I am um, managing their work. Mm-hmm. I'm doing work myself, like designing. So I'm on InDesign, Photoshop, uh, Illustrator every day. Uh, I'm hiring photographers to take photo shoots. I'm hiring illustrators to draw pictures for me. Um, and also kind of managing my art directors uh, on their work. They're checking back with me. I'm helping them improve it, uh, making sure we're good with timelines and uh, presenting the work to clients. So like really selling the work so that they understand what we're doing, see that we're on track. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Does your business, does it have the kind of reputation where people come to you for a particular look or are you more of a style more for you kind of very much catered to what the product is asking you to do. Yeah, we don't have a style necessarily. Again, it's a specific healthcare focus and yeah. like certain specialties. Like we do a lot of rare disease drugs, which are drugs that have that affect a small number of people. Uh, um, or a specific classification might be cardiovascular. Like we have PhDs who work for our company who are kind of um, experts in the science, and so help us translate the science so we can mm. can talk about it. Hmm. Yep. Cool. So you, you might get a new client and then have a completely different approach for this, this drug than maybe for this other. Oh, definitely. Completely because, um, yeah, it depends on kind of what the proposition is, what their, why this drug works. Sometimes it's that it's faster. Sometimes it's the mechanism of action scientifically with mm-hmm. the way that something combines with something at a microscopic level. Hmm. Um, so it depends on, yeah, it depends on what. The drug is, so yeah, we definitely take a different tact each mm-hmm. time. Cool. Yeah, I, I just want to make sure I get those questions out there because, uh, you know, the age-old question around here is what can you do with the art degree? And, oh, definitely. Uh, and especially the GD degree is, yeah. uh, I, we like to ask everyone their kind of path, how they no, there's, how they make art. There's art live. directors, there's graphic designers. Like I said, I work with illustrators, I work with photographers, there's uh, developers, front-end developers, back-end developers for digital stuff. There's UX people who help figure out the UX of a, of a website. Uh, there's producers who help coordinate kind of the interaction between the agency and the different clients. We have we reach out to people for animation specifically, digital animation, um, sketches. Yeah, there's, there's All of tons them are of, art majors at yeah, one point or another in their life. Definitely. See, it's possible. It's possible. Yeah, you don't have to be <laughs> starving. Yeah. <laughs> in, in an artist. Um, okay, so, you know, I, I, uh, we had some very honest conversations about the show mm-hmm. when we put it up about how we thought it would interact with the, with, as you said, um, what the audience interaction was going to be with this mm-hmm. and whether we should, how we should prepare and contextualize, how we should be prepared for, you know, criticism or mm-hmm. people being offended, you know. Right. And so um, I just wanted to throw it out there as part of this dialogue that we, as a department, really talked about, you know, sh- sh- do we need to warn the administration that this show is here? You <laughs> right. know what I mean? Like it, right. And it, 
and it's everyone kind of came at it with a very open mind, but certainly most of us are white. Most of us are right. white, and having that conversation right. really uh, slants our position on it. And um, but in having the conversation, we really weren't sure whether mm. who would who if anyone would be offended right. by work. You know. Right. Um, just curious what, what you think about the show as it's been hung and in this in this space and now that you're here in the space. Yeah, I uh yeah, part of it is I'm trying to to spark conversation or have people uh interact with with language or ideas that are new. I think, you know, all kind of art is 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 successful if it does that. And so one thing I've found just making this work and just uh we do a lot of social justice stuff at home in, in Evanston. Um that uh, black people talk about race a lot more than white people do. Like we talk about race all the time, like constantly at home. It's just, it's just part of what we do. And so, as you kind of talk about it more, and people get uh, get nervous about it or get defensive and scared. And so, sure. Uh, without trying to be a teacher or bring someone along to some kind of viewpoint, yeah. I mean, everyone can take their own journey or or not. I think this is uh, like one of the biggest issues in the United States, and it's starting to come to a head or becoming more evident, like in the political landscape. And you're seeing this, these ideas and questions about race come up a lot. And part of it is that we don't really talk about it, especially um, in a in a mixed group. Um, and so I'm trying to invite people to engage yeah. in this guy gigantic elephant in the room in, yeah. in the United States. And so. <laughs> This is kind of my way of, of doing that. Yeah. Okay, I have a question about that. Sure. You say that within your family and other uh, African-American families, uh -huh. you know, race is a regular point of conversation. Yeah. Can you fill me in on that? What do you talk about when you talk about race? Yeah. Is it, is it what you're illustrating in those really wonderful right. pieces over there? Yeah. The, the problems yeah. or what? Yeah. And, and I, this is, I'll say my family, but I, I have an idea that this happens. It's, it's not, it's just more mundane things. Just the idea that, uh, so I might be the only black person sitting here. I don't want to say that. I'm sorry. Yeah. So just, that's the thing. Like, and so I don't, I don't know what we'd say. It's just a mundane, like, uh, we, I, I see through things through a lens of race in general. So going about my day, things happen. I'm like, oh, that was crazy that this person looked at you know you can see people when people get nervous around you you can see when people are watching you following you uh you can see and so you just remark about that um you know tv and movies have become more diverse over time but generally speaking most people on tv and movies don't look like me and so if you see a black person on tv i might remark about that um yeah it's just a it's a whole nother way of being in the world when um, you're a minority numerically and that you know that you're at the bottom of, of the scale of what's, you know, the best, the smartest, the, it's, it's, I don't know what we talk about. It's just, uh, yeah, day-to-day -day things we know. This is not necessarily complaining or saying, oh, that was, bad or that was racist it's just um yeah i guess if you were in japan for a year 
and you're, I think you would, it would just be a different experience being uh, everyone knowing that you're different. And even though America, there's black people everywhere, it's still the experience of like, oh yeah, I'm, I'm different. Okay, follow up on that then? Yeah. With this series that you have here, mm -hmm. were these entirely created by you or are these based on real people? Oh yeah, these are all real experiences from real people. Okay. Yeah. And these have been up in other places? Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, so we, we came in early mm -hmm. and read through and nothing I haven't heard. Right. I mean, this, this, this is right. pretty common. And yet it makes you sad. Right. All right. Um, you, you said you're, you're considering your audience when you're creating it. Mm -hmm. So some people are going to be sad. Some mm -hmm. people are going to say, gee, I didn't know about that. Right. Some people might say, who cares? Right. What kind of conversation goes beyond what the first reaction is? Right. What, what, what ideally might you anticipate happening when people view that piece? Well, for those, I, I wanted to just uh, talk about specific personal uh, experiences just to personalize these things. Because a lot of times, uh, if, you, if your kind of social group looks just like you and there's, you know, everyone kind of has the same experience, lifestyle, same socioeconomic status, um, you might not hear these different stories. And so and you might get your information from the news. And so the news talks about statistics and these broad generalizations. And you see a certain type of person getting arrested. And you get this kind of idea of what black folks might be from TV or the news. And so I just wanted to show specific ins uh, instances, personal ins uh, experiences, just so that people could maybe connect. So I don't know if I was thinking happy or sad, I was just thinking something really personal that might be hard to dismiss or just someone might empathize with because it's really personal and singular, was my thought. Yeah, and so the, there's another book going around that does the same thing, this book called First Impressions. I asked people, uh, when was the first time you experienced being the other? And so my first idea when I was doing this book was uh, I thought that people would say, oh, when I was like first, uh, first or second grade, I was in school and someone called me out of my name and I was really sad. So the idea was that I was going to get all these experiences uh, of people. And the idea was that people have this common experience and that's common amongst people of color or something like that. And that was the idea for the book. But when I started talking to people like from different ages and from different parts of the country, the things they said were like, I mean, all over the place, very specific things I could have never thought of. And it was just interesting that, um, yeah, how unique people's experiences were. And I kind of simplified it a little bit. And it was a lot more interesting and compelling and, um, I don't know, heart-wrenching to me. Um, Much broader, wider than you yeah, imagine. Yeah, well, definitely. Well, and, you know, kind of going along that line... Offense, taking offense. Mm -hmm. Like we thought, at least I thought, yeah. to be just speak for myself, I thought I could see black people being offended by some of this work, mm. potentially coming in. And it was a big part of why I wanted to have this video of you there, just to make clear that you were a black artist working with these themes. Right. Just on the off chance in this environment that someone would come through and be triggered in a negative way without having that context. So this show maybe more so than some other shows, 
Let me also back up and say most of the exhibitions we put up here have traditionally been very decorative, very mm. general, just very um, lower um, lower challenge point. More about <laughs> you know? yeah, aesthetics, right? Yeah, like, more about like just the, the craft. Yeah. Of things that occur, like as yeah. musical and theatrical events. And, and so people are moving through here very quickly. Right. And we even had this question of, is this show, should this show be in the Cadditch where it's a place that people go more often to be challenged in that mm, way. Right. And then we decided, no, let's just let's have this conversation. So, right. we, but we, I want to be honest that we did have that conversation. Is this, is this the appropriate space for yeah. this work? You know, <laughs> and then we thought, no, this is fine. Yeah. Can, and, and no, we don't need to warn the administration. And no, we, we can have this conversation the way that, that's where we came to. But, but I, I, I did think, what's going to happen if someone is offended, right. angry? And it hasn't happened. In fact, I wanted to read some of these statements. I, I put out. I also put out a, a comment book, which you don't often do. Cool. But uh, the comments that we have received have been. Uh, I'll just read them for the record. Eye-opening, thought-provoking, amazing. It's nice to see these works of art that shed light on everyday situations people of color face that they shouldn't. Bold. Let's talk, not hide from the hate that exists. Wonderful and painful all at once. Thank you for sharing. Beautiful. Very thought-provoking. It will stay with me for a long time. So these are wow. multiple comments from various people, but that's the only thing that we've received in here, okay? And, and so I guess my question after saying all that is, if someone were to come through, particularly the pieces on the end with the N-word, you know, right. if people came through and saw those and were very upset, yeah. how, and related to your question, how, how would you respond to that if they walked away and didn't get that context right. or this dialogue that continues beyond the artwork? Right. Every artist only has some responsibility for that dialogue. But right. what, what are your thoughts on heavy offense from this? Yeah, I mean... Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> That's their problem, right? Yeah, I mean, I mean it's uh, like... Uh, yeah, without context... Yeah, what, what do those say? I'm not sure. Uh, well, one of, the one with the silver type where it says uh, colored Negro. That one, mm -hmm. I feel like you could get that. That gives context. Yeah, yeah. Context. Um, yeah. But yeah, like, that's okay. Like, that's fine. Like... Clearly, people don't. This is a difficult conversation. People aren't really ha talking about race, and yeah. especially, you know, unless they have to, yeah. right? right. Um, so yeah, I, I don't know. I could, yeah, yeah. I didn't think that far. Well, well, we also, yeah. I mean, we did talk a little bit about um, who actually we were trying to think about who would be the people most likely to be offended mm -hmm. if they were to be offended. Mm -hmm. um, and in most cases, it would come down to people that didn't have a cultural knowledge. And we're trying to be um, uh, uh, more progressive, but didn't have any sort of like understanding of how to do that. Not necessarily younger people, not mm -hmm. necessarily uh, people of color, but, right. but more likely. More, most likely. Older, older, yeah. Not that it has happened, but that no, was what we... But that was yeah. our concern, yeah. was like, that would that was our... That was our fence level that that I was thinking. Right. Uh, like, how do we discuss this um, with people that might not be willing to to listen to it or have that background of like, mm -hmm. to say that this is something that is an unfortunate norm and right. that dialogue needs to happen. Yeah. But it's true. So far, uh, as far as I know, just pure positivity on the entire show. Um. 
again on the same theme, the Black Lives Matter movement. Mm-hmm. Clearly, it's been of influence for you. Yeah. And do you do you have anything you can share with us about your interactions with it in Chicago, or any of this work? How any of this work might tie in, or? Yeah, actually, my my wife uh, started. Uh, uh, so I live in Evanston, Illinois. It's this town just north of Chicago, where Northwestern is. And so she started this organization called Meet, Making Evanston Equitable Together. And she and her friends, uh, I designed these Black Lives Matter signs, and they did a campaign, their yard signs, to put uh, signs in people's lawns just as a shine of support and solidarity. And they've sold maybe 1,500 signs. So if you go through Evanston, there's Black Lives Matter sign everywhere. Um, because Evanston's a pretty liberal, progressive town. Like mm-hmm. we're not quite where we think we are, but we're uh, that's there's that that kind of momentum headed that way. Mm-hmm. Uh, and also, I did a T-shirt, a Black Lives Matters T-shirt. Um, I designed and, and printed that says, "I'm going to get it. I'm going to look at my phone so I can get it the language right." Uh, because uh, people, so Black Lives Matter was coming out, and there was pushback about it, and you know, don't all lives matter, and blue lives matter, and things like that. And so, I just people feel like people were kind of misunderstanding, and maybe I don't want to say purposefully, but um, not trying to understand that there's kind of an implicit to Black Lives Matter also, especially considering all the um, things that we were seeing on videotape, uh, all the violence against uh, black youth, um, that the statement Black Lives Matter isn't really saying anything about white people. It doesn't say white anywhere. It doesn't say anything. It's just saying that Black Lives Matter, which is, seems like a pretty right. simple declaration. And so I, made, I designed this t-shirt that says, uh, in white type, it says black lives, and then in gray type, it says love and strive and hope and struggle and then matter. So it adds a little more context to uh, black lives, black people love and strive and hope and struggle like every other person, and their lives matter like every other person's life. And so, uh, and it kind of matches that. I don't know if you've seen this, these t-shirts with ampersands. Mm-hmm. It's like, uh, I think it started as a Beatles shirt. It said Paul and George, and it's in Helvetica, and people have taken this idea and done different shirts on that. So it looks like that it has ampersands. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I just designed these shirts, printed up a bunch, and started selling around town. And so, again, trying to add a little more kind of information or context to this so that people could maybe embrace this message and it's okay for it should be okay for anybody black or white to say that black eyes matter without there being any discussion after that right yeah um is there any um movement forward from there in terms of with your wife and and uh the artwork leading to more interaction, more like dialogue-driven interaction for you? Uh, I don't know. I've, uh, I don't know. I, I tend to like... You kind of start and stop at the artwork side of it. <laughs> uh, I don't know. I'd have to think of what... Uh, I kind of did that shirt and then 
I've been selling them still and wearing them around, but like have kind of kept moving. And uh, I just got this studio space I was telling you earlier mm -hmm. where. Right. Uh, or yeah, maybe. so there's a there's a, sp a place for my presses and for me to work, but also there's space for me to have some sort of community events and and workshops. And so I'm trying to think of how to activate that space to bring people in for conversation. Yeah. And typically, when I do have a show, uh, the kind of artist talk portion is really a big part of it. Mm -hmm. Being able to talk about the work, and we've had those in Evanston that have turned into almost like community meetings. Mm. So we're talking about the work, and then we start talking about the themes, and then it goes off into what's going on in the city. And so right. in that way, like people are, are given the opportunity to, to talk about this in a space where it feels, people feel more receptive, or I don't know if I want to say the word safe, but it's people who are receptive to uh, having, these, having these discussions. I only have one more question. I, I, don't want to, I want people to ask questions too, but uh, one more question before I forget it. Yeah. And circling back to the work that you did at the museum, mm -hmm. any thoughts, resonance to letterpress, letter type, mm -hmm. wooden type, lead type, and its history, history with posters and, and the tradition of letterpress from back in the day and how that might relate to black culture, mm -hmm. slavery, all that, all those things. Did you, did you come across any, anything with that? Any thoughts on that or? Just the idea of kind of the power of print and that that was the way to communicate. And so if you want to, to say something and Martin Luther and pinning things up in public places on people's doors to, to spread a message, it's a real powerful medium. I know, you know, email is faster and I, I don't have anything against digital thing but there's something this tactile nature of paper um there's a certain density of information you can get on a page that's something that will linger with people they'll kind of hang on to them a little bit longer it's easy to share with a friend uh people put things on their fridge people frame things um so there's kind of a lasting kind of permanent somewhat to, yeah. to paper that i like and yeah the history of that was the way that we communicated. And um, even if you're reading from a, a sheet of paper, you know, that's the way before everyone was able to get a Bible, there was a mm -hmm. Bible at the church and you came in and you were read to from the Listen printed word. It, yeah. And so I think that that history of communicating that way is, is still resonates with all of us. We were all taught to read, you know, on paper, through books. Mm -hmm. And uh, I think that's still pretty powerful. Yeah. Anyone? Questions? Ms. Um, what gave you the idea to do like the black on black for your prints that are down there at the end? Because you know, when at first when you look at it, yeah. you're like, it just says rich, and then you really look at it, and you're like, oh, you know, like, <laughs> like, there's another word. Yeah, um, so I did the the smaller one first, it says colored Negro, black, African-American. I had the idea, um, just uh, names are really important, and um, so the, the kind of inward thing where Black people can say it and other people can't say it and you can call people that. What's the meaning? And just the idea that as black people have been in this country that we've had all these different names. You know, some self-given, some given to us. And first we were colored and then we were Negro and then we were black and how kind of identity has changed over time. And that's kind of a, in a, a unique situation in that we get these new names every once in a while. And like, and like I said, some are, you know, the African-American was you know, people were trying to kind of harken back to Africa and, and our past, and so claiming that and, and making a new name for ourselves. 
and thinking like, is there going to be another name? Like in, the, in 50 years, are black people going to say, you know what, we're not black anymore, we're this. Like, mm-hmm. I think that's just an interesting thing. So I want to lay all those out in different uh, typefaces. Um, yeah, so I was like, I thought of adding that as kind of a twist. And, but I didn't want it to be just so like, uh, it just seemed too heavy. And so just a way to make it subtle. Um, yeah, just, yeah, as a way to, for subtlety. So it's black ink on black paper. Uh, so it's more subtle. So I did those prints first. So I did the, the vertical one and then did the horizontal one more. So it seemed like a timeline. So you move from left to right. So I thought that one worked really well. And the N-word was really big in the back. And so it's really prominent. It's kind of like casting a shadow over everything. So that was next. And I thought that was really successful. So I printed a bunch of those. uh, And then I had like a bunch of sheets, big black sheets with like nigger printed on them. And I was like, I don't know what to do with them. I just didn't want to print any more. And so the other ones are, are... Talking about language, but also kind of the formal exercise of uh, the black type is big, black, sans serif, blocky. And then you uh, match it with this beautiful script in gold, which is very like rich and positive. And the the words are rich and lover. And just I thought that juxtaposition was just, I don't know, really interesting and really kind of like, yeah, yeah, complex, but kind of fun and kind of funny. Like Mm -hmm. I was laughing as I was like, this is hilarious. Like, (laughs) this is crazy. Um, And so, yeah. And so when you, and even like talking about these things, so I'm printing this, uh, I'm a resident artist in residence at the museum. I'm printing this in a, in a open area and they bring tours around and people come and look at what I'm printing. So I'm printing this thing and I had colored Negro, black, African-American, and they're like, oh, this is cool, so what is this print? So I'm explaining it, and I was kind of scared to say what I was going to do next. I just felt kind of embarrassed or something. And so the first group, I just was like, oh, and so I'm printing these names, and that was it. And I just went through, and I'm like, I'm going to hide these in my basement? Like, I plan on showing this, like, I think this is a good idea. And so the next group I came, I told them what I was doing, and they were like, oh, that's cool, and giving me suggestions on, like, how I could change it and make it better. It was really interesting. Like, I was nervous to be the black guy. Talk, you know, just, like, it felt kind of weird, and I was like, this is ridiculous. And so... Um, Primarily a white audience. Yeah, yeah. And these... Yeah, and so I didn't want, like... You know, I'm at the museum. I'm kind of representing the museum. I didn't want them to have any kind of... I don't know. You know, it was a, you know yeah. it's a touchy thing. And so those things are real, but you have to kind of get past it and like I don't know if you know Brian Stevenson um, he was here oh yeah like fantastic right and so you know he's got these was it four ways to kind of change the world and one of them is uh, being comfortable being uncomfortable so that's part of it so anyone who's got some hesitancy to talk about any kind of it could be race or anything but sensitive well specifically race talking about Brian Stevenson it's like you know, tough. Like, this is the history of our country. We're coming up on, or this year is the 400th anniversary of enslaved Africans coming to America. They came in, first ones came in 1619, so 400 years in this country. And so, like, 400 years, about time to start talking about this stuff. And so, yeah, it's okay that it's uncomfortable. Like, or if you don't want to talk about some with someone else, like, go read a book. Go get on the internet. Like, the fact that it is still uncomfortable. Do it yourself. Yeah, read yourself and like start by 
yeah, learning yourself and then maybe challenging your family or when you're in a, in a, in a, a, a group and someone says something ridiculous, you might want to say, wait a minute, we shouldn't be saying that. Like, you could start small, you don't have to, like, don't go up to strange people and engage them in the conversation like Starbucks was doing. That was strange. <laughs> yeah. But, um, yeah. 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 So, um, yeah, I was trying to make a statement, but not one that was just over the top or, yeah, seemed kind of heavy handed. Thank you. Yeah, I'm really, I was really happy with those. I had never print, printed in uh, metallic ink before, which is like, metallic is fantastic. Like, so what, metallic <laughs> on black, like, I gotta do that more. Yeah. Well, they, you know, to go back to text based art, it's a minimal form, right? Right. So the choices that you make are very poetic and meaningful, and, and, and small choices have big effects. So the, the larger form of the word versus the smaller form of the word. Right. Uh, black on black with small font seems like a whisper. Mm -hmm. Black on black, large, filling the whole page is an enveloping shadow. You right. know? Like, so there's a lot of poetry involved in this text and the way in which you've designed it. That's, um, well, even the, in the way that you see it. So yeah. you can't see it. That's the thing. Yeah, angles. from certain so angle. It really is a, uh, drastically different between the smaller vertical and the larger ones because it's really, you know, it is, it, seeing those larger ones, it's, it's uh, pervasive but untalked language right. that, like, you don't, uh, as a, a, a white person, you don't think about it, you don't think about it, and then it's there. Right. And then it's gone again. <laughs> yeah. And then you don't, like, you, you don't necessarily think it. about it. But in a different context, it could be, like, something that's always looming. Like, always it's just, like, always that's there interesting. and pops back out. Right. Um, so this one, the smaller one, to me, really, really seems still in that language-based thing of, of, uh, of a little more declarative of saying this is what I would like to be talked, or what I'd like to be referred to, or who I'm referring with different people. And I go back to Amos where he consistently calls himself like a humble, humble Negro, Negro printer. printer. <laughs> yeah, um, and that's what like. When he was here, he was very specific about saying, like, I, that's what I want to Yeah, I was, he was, he was born a Negro. Yeah, like, and when that's he was what born, he, he was like, Negro. He yeah. wants to be identified, right. that, at least in, in this right. circumstance. Right, right. Um, and it's empowering for him in that right. sense. So with that one, it is a little bit different than the other one where I really feel... Um, that quietude of racism and mm -hmm. that quietude of oppression yeah. a little bit more um, impactfully. Yeah, thanks. Yeah, I, I think those were, were really yeah, interesting and one of the more successful ones. Yeah. Any other questions for Ben? Some of the students, maybe? Yeah. Sitting student here, taking notes, looking at each other. Extra credit, extra credit. No, no. Okay. <laughs> well, we have a, a reception here um, for the next two hours, so if you want to ask Ben a question one-on-one, -on -one, away from the bright lights and microphone, feel free. Um, yeah. Otherwise, Ben, thank you very much for coming and uh, sharing the work with us. We really appreciate it. Thanks for having me. This has yeah. been great. Thank you.
This has been Q&A, recorded in the Kadich Gallery at St. Ambrose University in Davenport, Iowa. The Kadich and Morrissey Galleries are located in the Galvin Fine Arts and Communications Center at 2101 North Gaines Street between Locust and Lombard. All content of this podcast is the exclusive property of St. Ambrose University, copyright 2017, and may not be utilized without expressed written permission.